This is Body Talk, where we explore your inner universe. Hey everybody, David Lasondek here, structural integrator and fascia specialist at the Center for Integrative Medicine at the University of Pittsburgh. Welcome to the pod. Thank you, everybody. It's been great to be back for the new year. I really appreciate your emails, your DMs, all that good stuff. Had a couple of people reach out to me asking about classes that I am going to be teaching in France and in Amsterdam. And I got to be honest with you, listeners, both of those classes are really sketchy right now. The France class has been rescheduled four times, and the general tone over there is it's going to not happen again, which is very disappointing. So it is on the verge of being canceled, and um, I get that. So in the show notes, if you're one of those listeners who reached out and didn't leave your return contact info, uh, there will be uh, information on where to go for the Amsterdam class, which is in the middle of March of this year, and where to go for the potentially very likely mostly canceled France class uh, in June. And if nothing else, you know, please write in because that will indicate your interest. And I can't wait to get back to teaching in person, I gotta tell you. So I really, the support means so much. And um, in this week's episode, we're going to be talking to a friend of mine who gave me a lot of support in early years. Her name is Dr. Delia Kiramonte, and I met her in Las Vegas um, at a integrative medicine conference where I was doing a pre-conference workshop on fascia and um, biotensegrity. And it was mostly attended by physicians. She was one of them, and we just struck up a long-lasting friendship as those kinds of things can do. I do want to apologize. We had a little bit of audio difficulty um, with my microphone. You'll be able to hear Delia clear as a bell, but uh, if you think the sound is a little muddy this week, you ain't wrong. So we're aware of it and we'll make the correction next time on Body Talk. Um, going into the new year, we're going to have some really exciting new programs coming up in a few weeks. Science writer Rachel Gross, who works for Scientific American, BBC, and the New York Times. She has a new book coming out called Vagina Obscura. It's fantastic, uh, having read it already. And uh, what a great guest she is on the show. So watch out for that one. I'm kind of looking at a bi-weekly schedule going into 2022. I have a lot of commitments for work involving the International Consortium on Manual Therapies. If you're like, what's that? Go to the show notes. Go back and listen to the interview I did with uh, Brian Dengahart in the summer of last year from season one and uh, find out more about the great work that we're doing as part of the International Consortium on manual therapies. So for right now, uh, the takeaway message is about every two weeks, be dropping on Sundays, watch for a new show, but you never know. You never know. You might get two back to back. I'm trying to try to produce good high quality shows. 52 weeks a year is a lot if it's not your full-time job and it's not mine. But if you want to help out, you can always go to Patreon patreon.com backslash body talk radio and become a supporter of the show. Also, hey, please, I love the great feedback I'm getting. 
make a point, take a minute, give it a review on whatever podcast platform that you get your podcasts on. Just click four stars, five stars, whatever they have. If you have time to write a sentence or two, that's even more awesome, but it really, really, really does help. And without further ado, let's get to this week's episode of Body Talk. Hi, welcome to this episode of Body Talk. And today I am thrilled to have with me Dr. Delia Caramonte. She is board certified in family medicine and palliative medicine. And we first met at an integrative medicine conference many years ago when she was the associate director for integrative medicine at the University of Maryland School of Medicine. She's currently the medical director of Out patient integrative and palliative medicine for the greater Baltimore Medical Center and division chief of integrative and palliative medicine at Gilcrest. Delia, welcome to the program. Thank you so much for having me. So let's start with the basics. Many people in my audience understand what integrative medicine is, but palliative I think for some people has different definitions than it is for others. So why don't you school us on what it is? Absolutely. So palliative medicine is the care of people with serious illness from a mind, body, spirit perspective. And it's focused on relieving suffering. And that's both physical suffering, emotional suffering, also spiritual suffering, rather than on cure or prolonging life. But what is very important to realize is that palliative care is appropriate at the diagnosis of a serious illness like cancer or rheumatoid arthritis, et cetera. And it's absolutely appropriate alongside other treatments that are working on prolonging life or cure. So there's a great misconception, I think, that palliative care is the same as hospice, which is wrong, wrong, wrong. It is not, it is not. Okay, that's hospice, good because I always thought palliative care was for when you have a terminal situation. So right, not- life is a terminal situation, right? <laughs> <laughs> So we all need palliative care. We all need palliative care. No, um, hospice is the last six months or so of life. And so that is a subsection of palliative care. So hospice is appropriate for people who are very close to the end of life. And it is part of palliative care. So it's the same philosophy. But palliative care for people who are not ready for hospice, who are not at the end of their life, starts years before then. And the real difference, the real focus is that it's on symptom management. So just as an example, you could go to the oncologist, you have a cancer, and they're going to try to prolong your life or cure your cancer, which is exactly what you want them to do. But along the way, you might have symptoms from the cancer or symptoms from the treatment, right? So you might have nausea, fatigue, pain, anxiety, trouble sleeping, all of that. And Of course, the oncologist cares about those symptoms, but it's not their focus. Their focus is on getting rid of this cancer or at least holding it at bay. The palliative care doctor's focus is not on treating cancer. We don't know how to do that. We want someone to treat your cancer, but that's not for us. Our focus is on helping to manage your pain, your nausea, your fatigue, your anxiety, your depression, your sleep problems. Helping you feel better. Right. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And sort of classically in medicine, the focus has has been on disease, but not on people. Right. So it's a very 
people-focused specialty. While someone else is working on your disease, we are helping you as a person. And if sometimes the suffering is more physical, sometimes it's more emotional, psychological, sometimes it's spiritual, often it's all of those things. And because the mind and body are connected, they all mush together anyway. Um, and so we use all different kinds of tools to address that suffering, whether it's physical suffering, emotional or spiritual suffering. That's what palliative care is. So this seems like a very easy leap for you to go from integrative medicine to palliative medicine. Uh, what are the differences between the two? Um, so I think I'll talk, if you don't mind, more about no. the similarities than the differences. Okay, all right, let's sure. And let I, me tell I'd you, I'd much rather talk about our similarities and our differences because we have more of those. I don't care That's what right. anybody else says. And let me talk about how I got there, if you, if you don't mind too. Sure. So I, I worked as the associate director of the Center for Integrative Medicine at the University of Maryland at School of Medicine, as you said, for 10 years. And so there I was focused more on integrative medicine. I also had previously worked in hospice and palliative medicine and was board certified in palliative care. When I came to my current position, my position was sort of split in two, start an outpatient integrative medicine program for the cancer center patients and do inpatient palliative consultations. So I was doing both things and it occurred to me, these are the same thing. Mm -hmm. So integrative medicine philosophically is mind, body, spirit, care of the person, right? Whole person care, palliative care, is mind, body, spirit, care of the person, whole person care, focused on people with some kind of serious illness. But the, what I saw as the difference is that in, in palliative care, the providers, the, the physicians and nurse practitioners and chaplains and, so, and social workers understood that the mind and body are connected, understood that uncontrolled pain is made worse if you're anxious or depressed, et cetera. But their tools were all medicines and procedures. So very conventional medicine-like. So philosophically, they were very similar to integrated medicine, but the tools they were using were all straight up intensive medical tools. In integrative medicine, at the University of Maryland, for example, we had uh, an inpatient consultation team that was just integrative medicine, and there was another team that was palliative. So there, our team could do things like relaxation, exercises, meditation, the singing bowl, Reiki. But if someone was in really serious cancer pain, for example, and, and really would benefit from morphine, we couldn't do that because that was the palliative team's job. And mm -hmm. so what became so clear to me when I was literally doing both things in the same week is that they are the same thing, but those tools that are used in integrative medicine should be used in palliative medicine. Because if somebody has pain or they can't sleep or they're anxious, sure, I have medicines that I can use. And I do. I use a lot of pharmaceuticals. But boy, wouldn't they also benefit from relaxation exercises or acupuncture or manual therapies or um, Reiki. So really putting the two things together to take care of the palliative population, which is just people with serious illness, made so much sense to me that we put them together. So at GBMC, we created, the team is now called Integrative and Palliative Medicine. And so we have an outpatient component, we have an inpatient component, but it's really philosophically caring for the whole person using all the tools that work. 
That is really juicy. What what sorts of non-pharmaceutical uh, modalities or approaches have you introduced into this system? Uh, it's a great question. So we use, we have a mind-body specialist as part of our team. And so, that's okay, so, so I got to ask how, that's a fascinating label to me. So what are the qualifications to be a mind-body specialist? They're so, like the concierge, I assume, when you come in, right? Uh, we refer to her, actually. Okay. okay. We refer to her as kind of a sub-specialist in a way. Mm -hmm. And mm -hmm. so in a, in a way, we made it up. We had to get a new... That's fine job description for the mm -hmm. hospital. There was no, you know, they looked at HR in the list and there was no such person. So we created a new job description, created a new position for her. So what and were the qualifications there? Yeah. yeah, so she has training from the Center for Mind-Body Medicine um, in DC that, that is in many circles considered sort of the highest standard for training in mind-body treatment. And so she has completed that to their highest level. And she also has a master's degree in palliative care from the University of Maryland. So she is the perfect person and she's another mm -hmm. person. So she herself is integrative palliative care. Yeah. She has this mind-body training but she also has palliative care training so that she understands what it's like to work with people who are coping with illness, with, with serious illness. And the way our process works, both inpatient and outpatient, is either the physician or nurse practitioner sees the patient first, assesses what their side effect, their symptoms are, their suffering is from, and we make a treatment plan. That treatment plan may include referral to the mind-body specialist, either inpatient or outpatient. So that's one thing we use. And she's amazing. And it's every hospital should have a mind-body specialist. It's really just a, an incredible gift to the patients. And not surprisingly, she helps. She helps people decrease their pain. She helps them decrease their stress. She helps decrease their anxiety, helps with sleep, helps with coping, helps families with coping. So as a, as a practitioner, is she actually teaching some of these mind-body disciplines or is she just sort of divining, uh, diagnosing what would be the right mix of treatments for the person that is going to see her? Uh, I guess probably officially we can't use the word diagnose because I'm assuming she's not <laughs> licensed to do that. Yeah, I love well, she... <laughs> divining was the wrong word too because that's like, woo -woo, so what's the right word, Delia? But she, she assesses the person's okay. struggles and then uh, guides them through, through relaxation exercises, through meditation, through guided imagery. And, and the, the really helpful thing about having a person instead of just like an app, apps are great, you know, Headspace is great, Calm is great, but having a person do guided imagery with you helps because she talks to the patient first and gets a sense of, you know, where's your happy place? Like when you right. imagine feeling calm and safe, what does that look like for you? Yeah, and if my brother got attacked by a shark, I don't want you to tell me I would imagine that I'm on a beach. Exactly right, right, exactly right. So if people have had drownings, they don't want the beach. Some people hate the beach. Some people get really sick on boats. Other people feel so calm on boats. So she finds out first, kind of who are you person? 
what's important to you? Where do you feel happy and safe? Where do you feel joyful? Where do you get in the zone? You know, and then she puts those things into a guided imagery and leads the person through a guided imagery that's targeted to them, which is really cool. And sometimes she will even record it for the person and send it to them, which is pretty neat too. They can have it even when she's gone. Yeah. And yeah, that personal touch as opposed to a pre-programmed app. Yeah. Although apps are great. I have nothing against the apps, but this is like apps on steroids kind of Mm. even better than relaxation apps. Um, Okay. So that's one person. So we, we have her, which is fantastic. We uh, also have a, a very part-time acupuncturist. We got a small grant from the Center for Healthcare Innovation, for which we're very grateful for a year. And now it'll be two years of including the acupuncturist as part of a palliative care team. So again, the physician or nurse practitioner sees the patient first. And if they think that acupuncture would be helpful based on their integrative medicine knowledge, they'll refer for acupuncture. And so one thing that I think is important to to specify, I think that this model is best. This is just my personal opinion, but I think this model is best where the person is first seen by a clinician, an integrative medicine clinician, Mm -hmm. physician or NP in our practice, who then says for you, I think, for example, acupuncture and massage would be most helpful. For another person, they might say, I think cognitive behavioral therapy and meditation would be most helpful for you. Like you could go to the chiropractor, that would be okay, but I think that's not gonna help your sleep as much as cognitive behavioral therapy and meditation, for example. So some places have just kind of like a, like a spa service, like I wanna get acupuncture, which is fine. There's nothing wrong with doing that. But in my opinion, if, you're, if you have particular symptoms related to your illness, that it's good to get guidance from somebody who can point you to the most likely thing to help you. And not every integrative medicine center, and I'm speaking specifically to a hospital university attached ones, have a gatekeeper like that. The the people who answer the phones do the best that they possibly can, but they're not, they're not trained, I was going to say diagnosticians, but they're not trained analyzers to be able to figure out where the best lane or lanes to put you in is. And that's a, that's right. a problem that I've seen in a number of places. Yeah, I agree. And, and so physicians and, and peace can diagnose. And so it's exactly like you said, we can get a sense of why it is you can't sleep, make a diagnosis of the etiology and send you to the right place that's most likely to help which of course is what we all do for conventional medicine also, right? If you have a fever, you go to the doctor who tells you why they think you have a fever and what antibiotic they think is best. They don't just put a whole bunch of antibiotics on the shelf and let us just pick what we, which one we think is likely to be the best. So there's nothing wrong with having a, a spa-like experience in, for example, a cancer center, but, but I think this elevates it to to a a model that works kind of like conventional medicine because different modalities are better for different things, right? Right. And I think that it's called outpatient integrative and palliative medicine. Now, did that department or that, did that designation exist when you went there or did you help create that? It did not exist. We, we made it, Um, which I think is, yeah, I think it's fantastic. Yeah. 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 Things need to evolve. Yeah, we made it and now we're practicing it. 
maybe it would have been terrible. We don't know. We made it up. So we, but we practiced it and it turns out it's fantastic and it really helps patients. And I think it's the, it's, it's the way it should be. Palliative care should be integrative palliative care because people who are receiving palliative care have a lot of symptoms and medications are wonderful. And like I said, I prescribe a lot of them, but they're not everything. And there are so many other treatment healing modalities that can help people who have side effects and are suffering both physically and emotionally that there's no reason not to use all those great modalities as part of helping people not suffer. It just seems like a no-brainer to me. Exactly. Exactly. I might not be able to help you. I might not be able within my field to cure your problem, but if I help you feel better while you're coping with that, that's huge. And I, I think back to somebody who used to come see me um, who had um, who had pancreatic cancer. That was not a good circumstance, but it was yeah. the one thing that made him feel better physically. Yep. And, and also for, for those practitioners listening now who maybe want to work in, in this area, uh, there, and then there's the emotional component mm-hmm. of, because I'm sure you've seen this with people you've treated with cancer diagnoses, that they're busy being strong for all their caregivers and they need a place where they can let their hair down yeah. and really just let, let it loose about how hard it is just to keep going forward hour by hour, day by day. And that's something else that we can give to these people without them having even to ask for it is a safe space just to be exactly where they are in that moment. A hundred percent, that's true. And because the mind and body are so closely connected, it's not even like we can separate out, oh, here's your emotional distress on this side. And then over on that side is your physical distress. They are completely intertwined. And so sometimes we have a patient who, when they first come to us, their pain is uncontrolled. And we may play around with their pain medicine some, but if part of the issue is, as you raised, they don't feel like they have everyone, anyone to, to go to because they've always been the person that everybody goes to and they're lonely and they're scared. Maybe they're afraid to die because of their beliefs about what might happen to them after death. Maybe they have unresolved issues with family members. Maybe they just can't sleep. You know, maybe they're tired all the time. So they're drinking coffee all day and then they try to go to bed and all they can do is think about what's going to happen when they die. All of that is related to their pain control. So if I just up their opiates, I'm going to make them sleepy and constipated, but I really may not totally control their pain if I haven't addressed all of that other stuff. And so that's what integrative palliative care is, is all the stuff. Like, tell me what you're going through. And then with my expertise, I'm going to help with you figure out why you might be going through that. And then therefore what the treatment plan is, including aggressive medical kinds of things and complementary modalities together. Not as either, or we almost always use both, almost always. I'm a big fan of both. And so you mentioned acupuncture, you mentioned meditation. What other kinds of visualization, what other kinds of mind body interventions do you have access to or prescribe? Sure. Well, we happen to be incredibly lucky in that our mind body specialist is also an artist. So yeah, it's amazing. So she also does therapeutic art with people when it's appropriate, which is fantastic. Mm -hmm. 
Um, we have music licensed music therapists that join our inpatient team, which is fantastic. Pre-COVID, we had an amazing, robust volunteer corps. Mm. And so five days a week, they ran a schedule. Five days a week, we would have something that we could schedule the patients to do. And that included uh, guided imagery, relaxation, breathing, massage, craniosacral therapy, and uh, Reiki energy medicine, Reiki and the Eden method of, of uh, energy medicine. So that was incredible. And we hope to have it again someday. Right now, the GBMC, our hospital sent all the volunteers home because we don't want to put them at risk of COVID. And so they can't practice right now. But I'm assuming that'll come back. And that was incredibly helpful because we could say to a person, I think part of why you can't sleep is because of those headaches. But I think those headaches are because you are so tight and tense in your shoulders. And I think part of why you're so tight and tense in your shoulders is all of that scary thinking that's going on in your mind. So I, we, we talked about some cognitive strategies you could use. I would really love you to go work with our mind body person to learn some relaxation techniques. And I'm gonna set you up with the massage volunteer to get a massage for your neck and shoulders. So uh, we can do most of that now. So now we have to send people out for massage. So we would, we still recommend it. We still explain why it's helpful, but we can't necessarily provide it right there. But the things that have been helpful besides all of the mind-body techniques that our mind-body specialist does, music, art, acupuncture, um, are sending people for massage. Craniosacral therapy for some people is very helpful. Acupuncture, of course. We do send... a not small amount of people, some people to the chiropractor. We, we have some chiropractors that we work pretty closely with that um, we can communicate about specific things we're concerned about, like a metastatic bone lesion, you know, stay away from that area, that sort of thing. Um, and then sometimes we send people for somatic experiencing. We don't provide it, but we have contacts with people. Sometimes we send them for straight up psychotherapy, counseling of various kinds, CBT or DBT often. Um, sometimes if we have people with trauma histories, we send them for EMDR, eye movement desensitization and reprocessing, I think is what that stands for. Uh, so depending on what the person has, we'll make an individualized treatment plan for them, some of which we provide in-house and some of which we send them out to. But we are trying to make connections in our local area so that it's not just like go find a massage, but rather we have people that we can communicate yeah. with, they communicate back with us. Exactly. That that helps. Yeah. So that you're sending them not just to a person, but to the right person. Correct. So and a, in my in my fantasy, sorry, in my yeah, fantasies. Talk about some, fantasy. In my fantasies, someday we have a center that has all of these things yes. in-house for the patient. That is something that I hope you and I both live long enough to see and in more than just your location there in Baltimore. Are there other integrative palliative uh, constructs like this or are you kind of blazing a new trail? Not really that I know of. I think awesome. certainly um, people in palliative care, some of them are open to this complementary approach, but I, I haven't found another place that has a robust program, but I think we're gonna make them. 
one thing that I do think is that we need more education and my hope for myself is that I can create educational programs for clinicians about integrative palliative care because not everybody in palliative care knows in the complementary world what works for what. So we wanna be thoughtful about it, right? We, like we wouldn't say, does acupuncture work? Well, that's kind of a silly question. Like, well, do medicines work? The answer is it depends. Works right. for some things really well. It works for other things not as well. So it's important to to know what does it work well for. What does the evidence show? We should, in my opinion, practice evidence supported integrative care. And so that's a knowledge base that I think some people who care for patients with significant illness are interested in, but they may not have for themselves. And then on the other side, in the integrative medicine world. It's my experience that you don't get a whole lot of training on the sort of the closer to the end parts of palliative care, having conversations about end of life, making medical choices, how to decide when, you know, if you're third round of chemotherapy didn't work and the oncologist isn't sure it's going to help anymore, making those kind of tough medical decisions. I don't know that everybody in integrative medicine is familiar and comfortable with all of that stuff. Yeah, and I, I think that's I think that's training that, that's definitely needed. And the, the phrase that comes to mind, correct me if there's a better one out there, please, is how do you hold space for fill in the blank, when, when you've got that person with you in the room that's going through that yeah. really tough thing and your job beyond whether whether you're putting needles in them as an acupuncturist or doing whatever it is you're doing, you've got to hold space for that really huge circumstance that they're going through and, and not go there, their baby, it'll be fine because it won't be, but not totally throw the wall up either because it's uncomfortable. You have to just be right there at eye level with them. And, and I don't know how you teach that. I think you learn that by going through those experiences, but I don't know, there's gotta be some way for people who are interested in serving uh, that part of our population to have better tools and skills to be able to do that. You are so right. And that is incredibly important. And of course, I think you can definitely teach that. You can definitely teach that. The way I tend to refer to that is healing presence. Yes, that's a good, that's yes. Right? Mm -hmm. And in my opinion, the best way to teach it is aside from mentoring and following someone around, other than right. that is by case discussion. So you bring up a case and then have people practice their counseling skills and then get feedback from mm -hmm. people who are more experienced with that and then try it again, try it again, try it again. There absolutely are tools that are intentionally used in situations like that, including silence, which most people are very uncomfortable with. And when you watch learners, they will often allow nanosecond of silence before they jump in with something else like, well, anyway, you know, let me know if you have any questions about that really tough thing I just said. And now, so here's the plan. Yeah, so that doesn't work because that just shuts down the patient. Shuts down the patient. Exactly right. So the kinds of counseling tools that are really helpful in these sort of tough situations are silence. Um, reflective listening. So when in doubt, if you don't know what to say, reflect back to the person what you think they just said. So I hear what you're saying is that you feel totally overwhelmed by all of the options and you're just not sure what to do. 
And often the person will say, yes, kind of like, how did you know that? Well, we know that because you literally just said that, but people sort of forget sometimes. They don't all, yes, it's, it's different from their side of the room. Yeah, absolutely. And a lot of people don't listen. You know, sometimes you what? say something and the person, right? <laughs> <laughs> the person's yeah, off. I, was <laughs> I have no idea what you're saying. Um, sometimes the person that you're speaking to is thinking about the next thing they're going to say, or they're like, yeah, yeah, whatever you just said, and they move on to what they think is important. So if you allow some to say something, you listen, you reflect back what you think they just said, just that itself is actually a healing experience, because you're really present with them and listening to them. And that doesn't happen a lot of the right. time. And slow down. I'm, I'm thinking here, slow down. So as a clinician, if somebody comes to see me for an initial appointment for 60 minutes and, you know, part of my brain is already thinking about, well, I need to put my hand here and do that intervention. I need to put my hand there and do that. And part of me is just already assessing that while I'm sitting there and talking about, but if they want to talk for 45 minutes of that 60 minutes, allow them the space to do that. Cause then maybe you only get to do one thing in that remaining 10 minutes or whatever it is, but that one thing will be more effective than the other three things you didn't have time for. Because Absolutely. And, and that's something I think that we need to engender in our, in our physical practices. I completely agree. Go, go slower, go slower. And I think what that really means is that healing presence, which is what you're talking about, is itself an intervention. Wow, I never thought about it, but I agree, yeah. It absolutely is. Yeah, I'm going to say that one more time because I think it's so important that a lot of people don't really process it, even people who do it. Healing presence itself is an intervention, right? So people will sometimes say, even to me, uh, oh, you know, we just talked for a long time. I don't know if they really did anything. No, you literally did a thing. That itself was the intervention. <laughs> yes, I have a, a magic question I'm going to share with you that I started using a number of years ago, the first time I see somebody and we were kind of getting to the point where, okay, now it's time to actually do the, the manual therapy intervention you came here for. Uh, but I asked them, if you could have one thing different when you leave here today, when you walk out of that door, what do you want that one thing to be? And, and I love that question because people don't expect it. Yeah. It kind of short circuits the, the pat answers that they're used to getting, because I might be the sixth or seventh or eighth person that they they haven't given up, but boy, there's a lot in their way. They're, they're real close to it and they're not expecting much. And that just kind of like, oh, wow, you really, it, it just opens a door. That That's I find a great question. Magical. Thank you. I'm not trying to mess up look of it. I just want to pass that on to everybody who yep. listens. It, it's a little bold to ask. But I think it's a great question to ask because then that makes me able to absolutely prioritize what I'm going to do next. And I'll tell you, the answer I get more than any other, Delia, is 50% of the time people say some version of one word, hope. Oh, yeah. They, like there, There's something here that will make a difference. That is so true. I'm, I'm so glad that you said that because I think that is extremely important. And one of the things that's in there is that you're being completely patient focused because sometimes we, if the patient says these five things are bothering me, 
the clinician might pick the two to work on that they like the best, that they think the clinician <laughs> is most important. Yeah, I'm so good, right? I know what to do for that one, <laughs> but that may or may not be the one that is most important to the patient. Mm -hmm. And so what you do in that question is you make sure that what you're working on is the thing that is most important to the patient. And we do that too. So when we first have a new intake, we ask the person, tell me what is making your life hard to live in the way that you want to live it. And they say a thing, we say, what else, what else, what else, what else, what else, what else? give me all the things. Cause there's usually a lot of things. What else, what else? All the things that are making it hard for you to live life in the way that you want. And then we ask them if you had to pick one or two that are messing up your life the most, making it the hardest to live your life that are really impacting you negatively? What would those one or two be? Which is a similar question for our work. Mm -hmm. And again, it's making sure that I don't pick my favorite because sometimes, believe it or not, people will say I have cancer pain and I can't sleep and I'm anxious all the time and I have these financial worries. And I might think, oh, pain, cancer pain. I know what to do about that. I've got a lot of stuff for cancer pain. I might think, oh, this patient has bad pain. I'm going to change all their medicines and work on their pain. Sometimes that is literally not the thing they care about the most. And, and it's in order to help people's suffering, not my suffering, but their suffering, you have to make sure that you're addressing what matters the most to them. And it doesn't mean that we might not come back to the other things and future visits, but you want to make sure that you focus on the thing that is the most disruptive to their well-being, whatever that means today. What's next on the horizon for you, Felix? Next on the horizon is yeah. I'm, I'm going to create a, a training program for clinicians to, to be expert in integrative palliative medicine, because we're trying to grow our program now. And it's hard to find anybody who has expertise in both things, which makes me think, well, we need to have more people with expertise in both things. And if we're going to do that, we have to make a training program. And so that's what I'm currently working on. What, what sort of people would you be looking for to end up in training program? That is a great question. Um, my biggest question is, do I train them all together or do I train them separately? Certainly physicians, I would say also nurse practitioners, probably palliative or geriatric interest or hospital-based interested social workers, but I think potentially also chaplains, potentially also chiropractors. I don't know. I don't know. One of the things I have to work out is do they work, do they, do they have individual needs so they need separate times to learn? or do they learn together? I'm not sure about that yet. But you, but you mentioned chaplains, that that's an amazing out of the box person that I wouldn't think of who actually would be excellent in a role like this. Yep. So that's that's kind of why I wanted to say to, to the audience, hey, there's, there's, there's room here. What's your timeline to get this? I mean, that's a big, big chunk here, big dream. It is. Well, I, I started actually, I just, um, started an, an LLC, the Institute for Integrative Palliative Medicine, and I'm working on, thanks, 
Uh, I don't have a website yet, but I'm working, <laughs> working on that this that. weekend. <laughs> so, so there will be a link in the show notes. <laughs> there will not be a link, but but you can follow me on Twitter, which would be wonderful and communicate with me there. Oh, yeah. No, we'll have definitely, if you want to get in touch with Dr. Caramonti, we'll have that information for sure. Awesome. Yeah, I, I'm very excited by it. I feel like first it was an idea and then we implemented the idea and practiced it and got better at it and have trained locally. So, you know, trained a nurse practitioner and, um, and are, are increasing our patient services and getting a lot of positive feedback. And now in my mind, the next phase is let's get more of us then. Let's, let's do this. This feels like the right model to me. I can see how excited and fired up you are by him. That's how, that's how you know. Delia, thanks so much for coming on the show today. Any last thing you want to give to the listeners? Are we good? Um, I think, well, let me just say this one thing one more time, which is sure. that palliative care is for anybody with a serious illness, you know, at diagnosis to make sure that your well-being is taken care of. It's, it's worthwhile and it's important. And, um, Let's spread the word because I think there's a lot of misunderstanding. And as I mentioned, we'll have contact information for Dr. Dina Kiramani in the show notes. Thanks so much for coming by today. Thank you so much for having me. Thanks for listening to another episode of Body Talk. Remember to support the show at patreon.com backslash body talk radio. Want to get in touch? Find me on social media or email me at bodytalkdavid at gmail.com. Remember to leave reviews wherever fine podcasts are found. And as always, the music you hear on the show is by David and the Disasters. See you next time on Body Talk.